Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. My guest today, Bob Kurtz, the legendary longtime, since the inception, play-by-play guy for the Minnesota Wild. Before that, did the Minnesota North Stars, the Boston Red Sox, Michigan State Spartans, Minnesota Twins, has done it all. Uh, We have just a really, really fun conversation in the press box before Game 6 about his career. A lot of funny questions, a lot of good information for aspiring broadcasters, and just uh, stuff on his career. Um, I really think that you'll enjoy this uh, this this podcast in large part because Kevin Fallness, of all people, asked a bunch of really funny questions that I think loosened Bob up. Um, as I mentioned, he's uh, flirting re- with retirement. The good news is, is that Game 6, if he eventually makes that decision to retire fully, uh, Game 6 will not be his last game. He's got at least one more game, Game 7, Friday night, Minnesota at Vegas, um, after a huge Game 6, 3 nothing victory last night against the Vegas Golden Knights at home. The Wild just played a, just a tremendous hockey game. Uh, it was mistake-free hockey for the first two periods by both teams. You could see both teams didn't want to make a mistake. But what I liked about the Wilds game is that they got out of that second period scoreless. This is a team that had been outshot 72-40 to in the second period, outscored 8-1 to in the series, but no goals in the second period, no goals against in the second period. And they kept the shots down to 7-5 in favor of Vegas. But what it did is it showed you that they didn't stray from playing a tight, checking, suffocating game, especially in the neutral zone. Uh, Vegas probably had that little better of the territorial advantage, but as the Wild always do, they they worked hard, defended hard, and then broke the game loose in the third period. And what was so shocking about the way they broke the game loose is they got an odd man rush. I mean, this was a tight checking game by both teams. Um, as Vegas was trying to end Minnesota's season and the Wild were fighting for their lives, but all of a sudden Zach Parisi makes a nice soft little chip pass on the exit out of his own zone to spring a two-on-one for Kevin Fiala and Ryan Hartman. Hartman, just a fabulous uh, finish of an incredible uh, Kevin Fiala pass. And all of a sudden, it's one nothing Minnesota with about 15-39 to go. You think it's going to be the longest 15-39 ever, but just three, four minutes later, the Wild make it. Uh, the Wild uh, get a break in the hockey game. Chandler Stevenson scores a goal. Alex Tuck is camped in the crease. The Wild uh, uh, are freaking out because Felino was on the ice skate right to referee TJ Luxmore and told him, hey, if anybody knows what goalie interference is, it's me because of what happened to him to, uh, uh, earlier in the series against Marc-Andre Fleury, but also at the end of the year with Darcy Kemper. And he was barely in the crease on those. In fact, uh, it's debatable to say if he was in, even in the crease. Uh, here, Cam, Tal- uh, Cam Talbot is just sitting there, can't play his position. Alex Tuck is standing in the crease, not trying to get out. Apparently, TJ Luxmore was yelling at him the entire time to get out of the crease. Originally, TJ uh, calls a good goal. The referees did a good job. Uh, Gordy Dwyer, uh, uh, TJ Luxmore, and the two linesmen did a good job of huddling, discussing it, and then reversing their call, call. The irony here is now Pete DeBoer, who had the correct challenge earlier in the season, which I thought was a very gutsy challenge that he wound up winning. Here he now uh, 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 challenges that there was no goaltender interference. The referees look at it quickly, decide there indeed was goalie interference, and the Wild get a power play, and Kevin Fiala makes it 2 nothing. So Vegas goes from thinking they tied the game to being down to 2 nothing, and there's the turning point, and then Nick Bustead scores a beautiful goal off another really good shift by the, uh, by the fourth line. So just a really good game. Kevin Fiala was just a matter of time before he broke out. He had worked so hard in the series. The only game that I really thought that he, you know, sort of a non-factor was probably 
probably game five in Vegas. Um, but the rest of the series, he was just working his butt off and getting tons of chances and just un, uh, just couldn't score. Last night, you know, as I said on my uh, Worst Seats in the House podcast and on the fan on both my interviews, it just felt like Kevin Fiala was going to have to have a, a great game to extend this thing to a game seven where the Wild are 3-0. and There's got to be a ton of doubt right now in Vegas's mind. The last three times now that they've been up uh, 3-1 a series, the opponent has forced a game seven. Uh, last summer in the bubble, Vancouver wound up losing in game seven as, as uh, v- Vegas extended and advanced to the next round. But uh, in 2019, they were actually the last NHL team to blow a 3-1 series lead against the San Jose Sharks. A little controversy in that series, if you remember correctly. Um, But uh, the Wild are, you know, again, what happened in 2003 makes no difference now. Obviously, the cast is completely different other than Darby Hendrickson being on the bench as an assistant coach. But the Wild, uh, if the Wild have complete this comeback, they'll be uh, the first team, I believe, in NHL history to rally back uh, from three three one deficits in their uh, tenure. So you know, heck of a out, heck of an outcome for the Wild. And now all the pressure is absolutely on Vegas. The Wild, you know, proving again that a chip in a chair, you have a chance. The Wild came back here, uh, came back here for Game Six, wound up winning a game, and now Vegas, who is very banged up right now, Pacioretty hasn't played in the series. Reeves looks like he's hurt. Noshik is hurt. And obviously, Brady McNabb's on the COVID-19 protocol list. Now, all the pressure is on them. And by the way, the winner of the series, their their reward for that is going to Denver to play game one of the next round, probably Sunday afternoon on NBC. And as we know, the Wild uh, this season has uh, been... <laughs> Let's see. They, they've had a couple big wins against Colorado, but mostly uh, just uh, outplayed against them. So they'll have to figure that out. But that's a story for another day if they uh, so happen to advance. But man, just a gutsy effort by the Wild to win 3 nothing. Cam Talbot, who I haven't mentioned yet on the on the open of the show, just again, awesome. Made a huge third period stop. Was it third period or second period? Um, I'm trying, I believe second period that uh, the one right by the uh, side of the net. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head who uh, had the chance, but but Talbot was just great. Second shutout of the playoffs to lead the league, 23 saves, and this is coming off a 38 save game where the Wild were outshot 40 to 14 in Vegas. So Cam Talbot has been everything the Wild had hoped for, and now uh, they go on to try to win a game seven that Bob Kurtz will get to call on the fan here in Minnesota. Without further ado, let's get to Bob Kurtz. Really, in, I'm telling you, you will love this podcast. Well, Bob, welcome to uh, Straight from the Source. Man, this has been a long time coming. Yeah, it's interesting. I, 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 I said hello skinny when you came in because I haven't seen you this year. I mean, I it have, really I is. I passed you twice in the press box, and that's been it. It has been, yeah. in that way, one strange, strange season. I know. And and one reason why I really haven't seen Bob and Tob and all is that the press box is broken into these corridors where we're certain, like, we all have these, you know, like, I don't know, what am I? I'm number four. Okay, I don't know if what you are. And we have a certain area that number four can only be. And so technically... I'm right now breaking the rules by being down at this end of the press box, but it really has been the strangest season ever. We don't see on the road. I barely traveled at the beginning of the year. Now I'm traveling more. You are having to call games off a monitor on the road. Tell me what that's been like. It's it's interesting. You know, we got started in it with the with the um, the bubble last year, and I'm glad I did it because I you know I boy what would that what would that be like? And it it it's in some ways it's very easy. In some ways it's very hard. And the reason I say that is it all depends. I'm finding on who's directing and producing the show Uh, for this last week. For example, the game on NBC was very, very easy to do. The game the other night from Vegas was a horror show. I mean, you can't. The, the, I, I don't know whether the camera moves too quick or or exactly. But I I had a hard time, and Tom had a hard time. Just it because of the way, just, the, just because of the way the game was cut, as they right, say in the business. Right. The, the director and the I cuts. Need, that like they're for doing. example, we, we couldn't figure out sometimes what where the faceoff was. Right. Was it in the Minnesota zone or the Vegas zone? Was it to his right or his left? Because they're on a tight shot of a player on the bench, and they're not showing where the faceoff is. Yeah. Well, I was watching a game at home about a month ago, and I think the Wild were in San Jose. And Mark Parrish was doing color, and at one point he turn, he says to Lapanta, he goes, "Well, I assume the goalie has been pulled." <laughs> you, know, like yeah, you know what I do yeah. though? I watch for the fox thing, the little fox box when yeah. it says empty net. Yeah. That's <laughs> how you know. Then I figure that he's been pulled. Yeah, um, I mean, it really is odd times. Hopefully, we get back to normal here. Um, let, let's uh, let's let's not bury the lead here. Um, you know, the, just Brian Murphy wrote an incredible story on you the other day. I just loved it. Uh, Bob Sansevier also, I believe, did something for the Pioneer Press as well. Yeah. 
I've gotten a lot of attention here. Yeah, I know, it's Bob. It's taken me um, years. But I decided to get it right so everybody could hear from you. Um, you, you know, it's very clear, obviously, the last couple of years, you've done l- less games, you've done less travel, uh, uh, things like that. Um, you're considering retirement, but are but legitimately... I've kicked the can, kicked the can yeah. pretty hard. But I have found in the past, this is... I thought for sure... That, uh, Five years ago that I had my last game, that Dallas playoffs. Right. I thought that was going to be it. And then something just, I had a chance, I think, to move in with one of my kids and share an apartment in downtown St. Paul. So that brought me back. And and then, you know, one thing led to another. And here I am, you know, still doing it five years later. This has been a little more of a, of a difficult year. But, I, but like I say, I... I, I I found that it's not a good idea to make up your mind right at the end of the season because you're pretty beat up. And ideally, what you'd like to do is wait until the start of next season and see whether you feel like coming back or not. But that's obviously not fair to the team. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. So my contract runs until the 30th of June. And I'd like at least a couple of weeks to, you know, really sit down and really think about it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the reason why I know that you legitimately haven't decided is even Tom Reed doesn't know. <laughs> and trust me, being the reporter, I'm like, Tom, give me now, the Murph, scoop. Murph, Murph, Murph give and the, the shooter sort of jumped the gun a little bit, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, Murph's a good person, though, to write about people. I mean, he's got he's a wordsmith, and uh, I thought that he did well, a Murph really good... Well, Murph is from Detroit, just like yeah. I am. So it was, it was one Detroiter to another. So yeah. we, we connect on that level. Yeah. It's funny, I'm looking at you, and uh, it, Kevin Fallness, who has a bunch of questions for you in this podcast. Our by man the way. child is on the loose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the one thing he did say, he's, he wants to know, uh, you say Detroit, and the reason why this popped in my head is, I don't know if you remember the one game at Joe Lewis Arena, I was having... Um, I was having dinner with you and Tom before the game, and I was all flummoxed because I wasn't wearing a tie. Remember, I lost my luggage flying in from somewhere, and my I, I was I wearing, had no problem with yeah, that. I know, and that's, so one of his questions was ask ask you when's the last time you put on a tie, wore a tie, and was a clip on? Well, it was not a clip on. My last <laughs> time I wore a tie that I can recall was at my. Uh, son's uh, wedding reception. I also wore one, a tie to the wedding. I used to wear ties all the time. I spent uh, 11 years on television in Boston. And that's probably where it goes back to. My partner and I, Jerry Remy, with the Red Sox, we would be the only two people in the entire ballpark wearing a sport coat and a tie, and it's like <laughs> 95 degrees outside. So, I, you know, every so often they'd let us wear golf shirts, you know, if it got really humid or something. So, I, I don't know. I, I came to hockey, and I figured, you know, now I'm on radio. I don't have to worry. I'm not on TV anymore. I don't have to wear the makeup. I don't have to put the tie on. And and Al Shaver was always comfortable this way. So I sort of followed in his footsteps. Yeah. The um, it is. I just it was so much. It's so funny. Like well, Tom comes in. He yeah. looks like he's running for mayor. Yeah. I mean, he's got the whole. He's got the whole bit. But but he is. You know, he's he's got an image to live up to and a bar to run on West Seventh. I don't have any image to live up to. You know what? Uh, t- t- but I remember that that time in the press room at Joe Lewis because you guys knew how flummoxed it was. Not just that I lost my luggage, but that well, I've worn a, you know, a shirt. You know what else for- is funny? Yep. I go back a ways in this league. I don't remember where this came from. This yeah, is like the beards in the playoffs, yeah. you know, which actually started with your old New York Islanders. But there were, yes. they, they never used to do that in the old days. And no one, I mean, Al Shaver never wore yeah. a sport coat and tie. And all of a sudden, um, it became, you know, that's the that seemed to be what yeah, everybody did. I remember did. the first time that I realized that I think that writers should wear ties was um, we were in Montreal. And it was would have been the mid to late 90s. And I got my credential there. And... It said on your credential, place in your jacket pocket, meaning sports coat. Ooh. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to be wearing this in my sports coat. And then I went up to the press box and I met Red Fisher and he was dressed to the nines. And Red all Fisher the writers, was too? Yeah. I, I mean, I go back to, I mean, this spot may be yep. before your time, like Gary Olson, John Shipley, yep. among among some other ones we've had on here. I don't think they were all decked out in sport coats. Yeah, I know. I mean, it was just, uh, so that's just why I always did it. And, and you know, it's just one of those things. But, but you were, it's funny in 05 when I covered the Marlins. I, my first game that I did, I, I, actually, it was my first spring training game I did. I wore a suit and tie, and some uh, veteran baseball writer <laughs> looks at me and goes, let me just tell you right now, in the middle of summertime, if you're going to be wearing that shirt and tie, you're going to hate life, and so you better take it off. So I knew it was very, I knew it was very, very different there. Um, you know what? Another thing happened to Joe Lewis in 1998 was uh, they, the Red Wings win the cup, and Scotty Bowman on the ice announces his retirement. So maybe that's what you could do. This year is the second that the Wild win the cup. You say, by the way, this was my last call. And just take all the attention away from them. I'll file that away. That's interesting. <laughs> um, let's talk about working with Tom. I mean, you guys are 
you know, Mutt and Jeff. I, I look at you. I don't know which is which. But I mean, you're, you're, you guys are. We're uh, like Oscar and uh, it was it Felix yeah, and the, uh, yeah, and the, I mean, uh, the know, name of that is, movie. I mean, since 1980 was the first time that you guys worked together. Right. I know some uh, broadcasters that run through color analysts by the year, uh, but you and Tom just have an incredible friendship, an incredible relationship. How yeah, did no, that all we, start? We, we've done a lot together. As, yeah. I, as, I, as I mentioned to uh, Bob Sansevier, I mean, I knew Tom's parents. Tom knew my parents. Tom has been to my place in Michigan, been to my place down in Wisconsin. Uh, we've gone to Alaska together. Uh, we did Michigan State hockey together. When I first came here from Michigan State, I still had a contact back there. And they wound up doing like six or seven games a season on uh, TV. And I brought Tom along with me as my color man. And he was interesting because at that point in time, that was before Tom had done the Gophers. He had never seen a college hockey game, I don't think. So he's the analyst and I'm the play-by-play guy. So I do my bit and Tom, all of a sudden, he's not saying anything. So we go to a break. I go, what's wrong with you? I said, Why don't, say something. He goes, I, I, don't, I don't know even where to start. Everybody's open. There's defensive breakdowns all over the place. This is college <laughs> hockey. And then, of course, he went on and did the Gophers for 11 years and all the rest of that. But we've, yeah. we've, we've gone to see Al Shaver together, taking the ferry across the, uh, the straits over to uh, you know the island in British Columbia. Yep. Saw so Al in a play. We've we've done a lot together. I remember my first road game was Reunion Arena in Dallas. Uh, my first real road game as the beat writer of the Florida Panthers was up at the Saddle Dome in Calgary. Um, your first road game with with uh, Tom, if I'm not mistaken, was at McNichols Arena. McNichols in, Arena in, in Denver. Denver. Kerry Frazier first was NHL his game. First NHL game. Yeah. And it wound up a 6-6 tie between the North Stars and the famed Colorado Rockies. Amazing. And now the beat writers at McNichols used to be. Upper end zone was where was the press box for you guys? You know, I honestly can't remember. Mm-hmm. I honestly can't remember because they, that was the worst sight line and ever. And, and that's strange too because yeah. I am Mr. Press Box. I yeah, mean, I, I know. I, yeah, I, let's I go, talk about I go, that. I go back to the old days when, and I, I guess to explain to fans, picture the XL Energy Center. Okay, yep. picture the XL Energy Center. The best seats here, I think, are the club level. You take that club level where the front row is in the club level at the XL Energy Center, you pull it all the way out and bring it all the way to the edge of the glass. That's the way the old arenas used to be. Same with the upper deck. Now, the negative to that is, is down below the the lower bowl, you would have obstructed seats because the girders, you know, the steel girders are what they use to hold the upper deck up. So in other words, if you were in the balcony, you look, I mean, the seats are incredible. I mean, I remember at Old Tiger Stadium, for example, you got a box seat in the upper deck between first and third. I mean, it's it's the greatest seat in sports. Yeah. How did you um, wind up down here? Because if uh, people don't know, again, the Exxon Energy Center is at the lower level of the press boxes, usually just for print journalists, wild staff, scouts, and some game ops people. The upper deck is for GM, scratch players, broadcasters. How'd you wind up down on this I level? I didn't like the uh, I didn't, didn't like, like the view, view because you're you have you, my bald the, spot in your well, face. Well, you, you get movement though, and that's yeah. the problem. Somebody will get up and move, or somebody yeah. will get up and drink a coke, or go get a coke. And every time you see a blur, it it it, it distracts you. Yeah. And plus the fact when you guys put your computers up, it sometimes blocked half the ice. Right. And I thought this is really stupid. Who designed <laughs> something like this? So and and, there, and there's a few of them around the league. So finally, Pittsburgh. Todd Todd Lywicky is the one who rescued me. Mm-hmm. I came, I brought him over here. I brought him down to where we're sitting right now. I said, Todd, take a look. Look at the ice. Now, let's go upstairs, stand here. Look, you tell me there's not a difference. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully, he probably extended my career. Well, it's funny. A I, I, did, years. I did a podcast with LaPant up in the uh, booth uh, last week. And I couldn't believe the difference just from here to there. Oh, it's unbelievable. You know, not even the obstructive view. I'm just saying the distance. Yeah, the distance. It just feels and, like and, it's, and you're further back. Now, Anthony yeah. also is one of the younger broadcasters, and they don't, you know, they, they're they're not burdened with age like I am. And also, <laughs> they don't know, they don't remember what the other ones were like. Right. Um, it is, uh, but it is interesting because, uh, um, you know, I obviously I'll go on with Tom. Not this year because of the COVID protocols, but I'll go on with Tom when we're on the road or at home. And even like I, I remember when. We were doing the one game in Pittsburgh the day before the uh, Devin Dudnick trade, and Backstrom got shellacked. And I, I remember, remember I did the radio in, beti- in between periods, and I like said to Tom, like, this team needs a freaking goalie. This is ridiculous. <laughs> well, I remember that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you remember I was like ranting the day before the trade. But uh, the funny thing about that is I was in that Pittsburgh broadcast booth, and I saw exactly what you – because I always say Pittsburgh is one of the best press boxes in the league. Oh, it's a beautiful and then press box. Yeah, and then, but then I realized it's from my perspective, not your perspective. Th- that's the problem. I mean, what do you – 
what do you and Anthony call your podcast? The worst seats. Uh, worst seats in the house. I mean, that's a lot of times what what, what we get. And yeah. what happens is is for me and for most of the guys I talk to, height is not the problem. Height is no problem generally. Mm-hmm. It's the depth. Yeah. It's from it's from where we're sitting now to over to those far boards on the far side of the building. And the newer buildings, you, because of the way they're built now, they don't use the steel girders, and they push the upper deck is and the press box are pushed back. It's a real depth problem. So you're best, a long you're, way. You're a long way from the far side of the ice. So best press box in the league for you to cover to do games. Oh, uh, well, Vancouver's fantastic. Vancouver, I'm, I'm trying to the mean, gondola. You know, you know, we missed it now. We, yeah, we, yeah, we yeah, haven't yeah, been, been out there. for a year. Yeah. but you know, Vancouver's spectacular. Winnipeg's spectacular. Of the new buildings, I, I, I worship Little Caesars Arena because it's like the old state. You yeah. go straight up in the air. I understand you guys are very high there. Yeah, yeah, we're way, way high in there. Montreal, probably Montreal another one you very good. Now worst. Would Worst be? would be Edmonton. That's usually everybody. The new did. Edmonton. Everybody right? talks about that because the old Edmonton was incredible. Yeah, the old Edmonton yeah. was good, but that's yeah. the only. As the old buildings were got checked yeah. off one at a time, we lost all of our good vantage points. It's funny. The other uh, last year, or two years ago, I tried to figure out how many arenas have covered games, and I think it's about forty six. I wonder how many you've been in. I don't know. I never caught yeah. them up. But because, no, quick, quick, story, quick story on the press box. Uh, Fred, Fred Cusick in Boston, mm-hmm. an older guy who has since passed away, Hall of Famer broadcaster. When they built the new TD Garden, he immediately switched his schedule to all road games. <laughs> and I don't think that the TD Garden is that bad. But, that, but see, Fred was that much older than me. Fred goes back to when, I mean, the Boston Garden was the two most incredible press yeah. boxes, broadcast locations ever. Where Tiger Stadium in Detroit, where you were 70 feet away from home plate and you could get your head torn off mm-hmm. with a foul ball. And the other one was the broadcast booth at the Boston Garden where you just hung right over the ice. Right. And that's what Fred was used to. And all of a sudden they put him upstairs and he didn't like that. Well, by today's standards, the TD Garden is actually you yeah. know, fairly decent. Yeah, it's like me. I've, I covered one game at Maple Leafs Garden, but not Maple Leaf Garden, but not. Anymore, I never covered a game at the old Montreal uh, the, uh, Forum. There. Yep, the Forum. I never covered a game at Chicago Stadium, Boston Garden, none of those. Um, but you know, but the only one other- I missed was the original Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Yeah, I've never. Where Tom Reed made his NHL debut, which shows you how old he is. Yeah, that's pretty. Crazy. I haven't even been there. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Vancouver. One of my favorite stories was in in 2005, one of my first road games um, covering the Wild. I went to uh, dinner with you guys. We sat at this bar. It might have been at Moxie's um, or, or, or I don't know where it would have been, but I went with you and Tom and you guys told me the story about um, you driving a car with Tom in the back seat holding all this lumber to build a deck at your yeah, house. I was, I, was, I was living in Burnsville at the time and I was building a, a building. a. I, I don't build anything. Tom was putting the, uh, the, we were getting lumber and Tom was good. Tom was actually going to build the deck. This is how, this is how much yeah, I, I remember Tom, Tom saying was, at that bar. But and I, I, I had all the trek loaded in the back of what I, which, which I'm assuming was an SUV or whatever I had. I thought I had it all in and we took off at a light and all, all the lumber went flying right out the back and we're fly, uh, it was, it was, it was it was a long night, but we got yeah. it done. Tom, Tom said that uh, uh, that yeah, you like there was like a yellow light, and you gunned it with him holding all this lumber. <laughs> we lumber lost, flew we, out. Yeah, we may have lost Tom in the process. The so. lumber flew out of the back. He, he's of your put SUV. up with me for years. I can't he drive. A, I can't drive a nail straight. Yeah, that's now what I he always now says. Now I don't even try. Yeah, I remember he, you guys are telling me the story, and I'm just crying, laughing, and, and I mean, Tom like, just Tom, looks like, at me like Tom was a t- t- Tom's excellent at like building anything. Yeah. When he lived in Egan years ago, he had like a seven layer deck. That you could, you know, he had all these Christmas lights on it and everything. And I would, you know, we were worried because the airport's not that far from there. And the plane, you know, the planes are probably, you know, disoriented when they came over his house and saw all these lights with this humongous deck that Tom built. Yeah. He, uh, I remember he looked at me and he goes, uh, Curtsy, he's, he's not a handyman. So, <laughs> no, he's not. No. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, thank goodness Tom didn't fall out of the truck with the lumber. No, he's still with us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Calling these games on TV, what's the hardest uniforms to read the numbers? I mean, I know you've only done seven the worst opponents. Were our retro uniforms? Okay, and I yours. really looked forward to those. Yeah, and you know, because you know, we go back to the North Stars. The difference is the North Stars did not wear gold numbers. Right, they were, they, they were green numbers on 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 white. It was it was hard in person. It was hard on television. Right, it's just really hard to, t- to read them. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, it, w- w- there was one last year or two years ago that the numbers were even for us in the press box on the shoulders well, were just not doing anybody any yeah, favors with one. those new whatever those things yeah. are 
I think it was that. Yeah. So that's. Uh, I mean, it just. I mean, it's everything. You yeah. know, it's just you know, and, and it's not my eyesight because my eyesight is basically twenty twenty when I you know with you know corrected you know right with glasses. But it, so it's not that you know that's not the problem. Yeah. Refs mics is another thing that sometimes ticks you off. Oh, that was the old days. Yeah, like that uh, was the old. We we had Scotty that worked here, and we you know we just you know ran on him constantly, and he kept saying it was their fault, not his. And I mean, every time that we they would blow it, Tom would you know Tom would say something, and yeah. Scotty would go crazy, and uh, it it was. Tell everybody the story. But, yeah. I mean, you could. I mean, yeah. when they did that in high school football, they they work. Yeah, they should have worked in the NHL. Yeah. Tell everybody the story. Another great Tom Reed Bob Kurt story. Oh, is, there are too many of yeah, them. Yeah, I know. Most I think of them you are guys were staying now. at like the airport Marriott in Detroit once, and the whole way back to the hotel, you had to like use the restroom. Yeah, we went you out. Yeah, well, story. Detroit always had that deal after the game. You know, this is again it's where you can go downstairs and have beer and pizza after the game. So uh-huh. we went down. We had a couple of beers and pizza. We had a rental car, and we shot out to the. Uh, the we were staying at the Marriott. They had a Marriott right smack in the airport in Detroit. In the, the airport? Right in the airport. Wow. So uh, so we, we, we got rid of the rental car, got back to the thing, and we're going up the uh, – and, and by this time, I, you know, I, I need to use the, you know, the room badly. And so we're, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my dance, and Tom hits the elevator, and he roars in, and I roar in, and I'm, we're on like the, like, the, like the fourth floor. Is that right? Yeah, the fourth floor. And then, and, but unbeknownst to me, Tom hit three. So that door opens at three, and I go roaring out to find my room, and there's Tom waving as the door's closed. That's what a nice guy is. How I mean, he I cannot oh, imagine. We, we, there's a million of them. Yeah, I mean, you know that the funniest thing about Tom, like in 2005, he started this habit because he knows how much I love to break stories. Where whenever he walks by me, he'll look at me with this like really like like straight face and go, "Have you heard?" Or, or you go hear about the trade? Yeah, but but he the other thing the have you heard? He is he has sucked me into that a hundred times. Every time I'm like my heart sinks right away. I'm like, what? What did I miss? And then he'll just start laughing. Like, but it, it, like he started this in 05 and he still does it oh, in twenty twenty one. You still fall for it, and I still fall for it. Yeah, it's unbelievable because I know that one time that I don't listen to him. There's actually going to yeah. be like, uh, yeah, they traded this guy and you missed it. So, uh, oh man, it's funny. The other great Tom Reed Bob Kurt story is weren't you guys hiking in Alaska? <laughs> Uh, which one is, is this where I was overly prepared? Yeah, you were like overly prepared. Yeah, I like read all these. Yeah, we're going to Alaska, and uh, we um, went for a hike, right? Yeah, we were going. We were we were going for a hike, and it, I, I read all the books. You know that you know you better be prepared. You know, there's bears. There's this. You know the way. So I mean, I was prepared. <laughs> so, but I didn't realize that we were going on this low low of a level of a hike as, as we wound up on. So I come out with all this crap and like walking sticks. Walking, and- I got my sticks. You know, I got the whole bit. And all of a sudden, like it's like a little kid, like with high heels, that goes by. <laughs> That's what he said. This woman, this woman walks by here in high, high heels. It's just funny. Yeah, I remember. Remember one of our first Napa trips that we took. I was driving with the broadcasters. I think it was Greenland Tierhar, and you were you rented a car to go with Tom to you with Tom, and you were following me up to Napa. And within one second, I lost you guys. Remember, I like well, I, I was like in the wrong lane, and I just cut over. I and thought got Greenway on. was driving. Okay, no, it was me. Yeah, because I remember I was looking in the like. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I you that were was dr- really before GPS was yes, really we, yes. so you we were, were really following us in. and you had no directions. It was yeah. like, Harry, hey, we'll follow you up there. And all of a sudden, like I'm in the wrong lane and Greenlight says to me, like, no, you gotta get on that highway there. And so I like cut over like my two <laughs> lanes to get on this highway. And I look left and I see you fly by on the sa- on the highway that we were on. And Tom looking at me like just like with this, what the like, yeah. yeah, look, and then uh, yeah, but there was wine involved, so we found our way there. <laughs> oh man, like two, that was like funny. two bloodhounds, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Lou Nanny is turning eighty next week. He's unbelievable. Yeah, like I just spent so much time with him in Vegas, Bob, and it was such a joy. Um, what's your best? Some tell me some Lou Nanny stories. Well, I met Louie when I came, but the thing about Louie was Louie. Every I mean, are you you're familiar with? I don't know how familiar you are with the. What Louis got when he became GM? Louis always gets a good deal for himself. <laughs> so he and and and, and he never wants to really coach because he, every time he's forced to coach because he fires somebody, he gets himself out from behind the bench just as fast as he possibly can. Well, he takes over the North Stars. He just finishes playing, and he becomes general manager. 
And he's got the golden touch. What they did at that time, we merged. We got an entire team. It was like the wild, like, for example, all of a sudden getting the Nashville Predators players on top of their own. We got the Cleveland Barons. We got Jill Malash. We got Greg Smith. I'm, I'm trying to remember who else we picked up in the thing. Plus, Louie had, at the time, two picks in the first round. He got Craig uh, Hart, Hartsburg, Hartsburg, and he got he got Tommy McCarthy. Plus, he had just drafted the year before number one overall and had Bobby Smith. So, he had like two teams worth of talent. That's, Only could happen to Louie. Yeah. It's, um, you know what? He's so sharp still. Yeah. Like, he, there's nothing he doesn't remember, which is just for... We just got him recently. Did you hear what happened to no, him? No, no. He's upstairs doing Fox TV. We are downstairs in the fishing lodge doing the same game off a of TV down there. Louie is hungry. So he asked Reed, he's, he, he's talking to him, you know, by the thing, what's going on? He's, I'm really hungry up here. I said, oh, but we just finished up. We, we had ham sandwiches and spaghetti, which we didn't. We had nothing down there. Absolutely nothing. But Louie couldn't come down. He said, can't you send me some? Please send me some food. Well, no, that's, it's, it's, we, we can't do it. We, we, we have nobody free to do it. So Louie went nuts. But Louie worked the next game as well. And the first thing Louie did was make a beeline down to the fishing lodge to check out our food, which, of course, we had not. <laughs> Tom got him again. Um, who are your favorite broadcasters? As a, I mean, from like a, growing from, up, before, you know, uh, growing up, but like before you were a broadcaster, but then when you became a broadcaster, who are the people that well, you I idolized? Up, I grew up with Bruce Martin. I mean, I'll do hockey. I'll keep it to hockey. Uh, I, I did Bruce Martin in Detroit, who I worked with mm -hmm. when I first broke into the business. And we had Hockey Night in Canada. So I was, that's another thing I said. Detroit's a border city. Mm -hmm. Canada is the other side of the water, as you know. When you walked out the back of Joe Louis Arena, there's the river, there's Canada. But anyway, we, we, got, the, we, we got the Maple Leafs. So we had Foster Hewitt. We had Danny Gallivan and the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, those were two real Hall of Fame. I mean, Foster Hewitt goes back to almost the invention of radio. Right. That's crazy. So, um, and like, who became like in like legends in the game? Who became like the people that you were tightest with while working? What do you mean? I, I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, uh, like when I think of like the great broadcasters that I that I grew up like working with, the Jeff Rimmers and people like mm -hmm. that. Like anybody that in the game that you uh, all became good. special. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't, I, I can't put one ahead. I mean, like. John Forslund does a, you know, does a tremendous mm -hmm. job. Most of the people, I mean, whether they're writers, broadcasters, uh, uh, color analysts, or play-by-play uh, uh, -play guys at this level are pretty good. Yeah. I mean, some, you know, some are more your cup of tea than others. I mean, their style or whatever, yeah. but they're all good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, though, that, like, when I listen to you, like, I, I, you know, and I mean this with the utmost admiration, like, I, I think of old school. You know, you have that old that the broadcasting that broadcasting sound of like the but great it is, radio you know, guys. But it's also I, radio, and yeah. I think and I think that's one thing that's been lost. That you know, because I think so many people have been weaned on TV, and now everything is mm -hmm. a video. But that you have to, uh, the way I look at it anyway. When you're doing a radio game, you, I assume the person cannot see the game. Yeah, that they're not linking it up because if you link it up with TV, I yeah. think there's probably way too many words yeah. left to right on your radio dial. That, that's an old one. I mean, none yeah. of that stuff's necessarily original. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's been used before. Yeah, but it, but it, 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 I don't know. It, but there it was a radio dial. Like, you know, used to and that's how I, why I love watching Columbus games because, like, to me, when I listen to Jeff Rimmer. It, it is. It, it's. Oh, there's it's a old, living legend. But it is. It, it is old school. Like yeah. it's. It's like listening to a, a game back in the seventies. Yeah, that's 80s. the way that. That's the yep. way that. Uh, that. That. Uh, um, and he doesn't have a signature goal. Dan goal Kelly call. used yep. to do it. Yeah. Dan Kelly was the big one in the United yep. States, and then and Foster, and especially Danny Gallivan, who had that the cannonading yep. shot from the point and all that for for Montreal. Yeah, no doubt. So a guy named Kevin Fallness has all these different questions for you. you. Want me to throw some of them at you first? As long as you don't throw him at me. Yeah. I mean, that is it. First of all, is it true that Kevin Fallis might be the reason why you are retiring? It's just, I mean, it's got to be great. Well, 20 years. 20 years. 20 years of Kevin. I mean, you saw the signs here earlier yeah. that he owed Nordy money. Yeah. So exactly. Like, and, and then, you know, the, the, the tough part about your job is that he's in your ear. Like, can you, that voice in your ear, you have to go well, to that dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> <So>, anyway, <laughs> um, let's see. Um, he actually makes my job easier a uh, lot of times. So, uh, Fallen says, uh, when uh, Bob Kurt started broadcasting, ice hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> How has the game changed since then? Well, it's changed a lot. I would have, before I was, when I was a kid, there were six teams in the National Hockey League. I mean, there was Detroit, Chicago, Toronto, Montreal, Boston, and would be the other one. 
trying to think off the top of my head. New York uh, Rangers, Rangers, yeah. New York Rangers. That was it. And they played uh, they played each other um, 14 times a season, uh, seven home, seven row. That added up to 70. Yeah. I mean, it, what, what's changed is all, I mean, what's changed is almost everything and then almost nothing. I mean, like it's the same basic game. People are basically the same. The players are still the best players in, in yeah. all the sports. The difference is they're in much better condition. The players can skate better. They're coached better. Uh, electronically, you I mean you've seen the you've seen how it's changed in the in, yeah. the, in in our business. I mean, you've gone from I used to have to call up if, if I was doing Michigan State hockey and you're playing Colorado College, you'd have to call up the sports information director at Colorado College and say, "All right, give me your lineup number two. Number two, Zach. Is that with the you know with, with the Z A C H?" You know, and then whatever his last name was, go through the whole roster. Now, of course, you just pick up your iPhone and bang, there it is. When Everything's I, right there yeah. for you. Well, hey, look at the athletic. Look I at mean, the practice. athletic, right? <laughs> and you've had a lot to do with that too. With you, you when you you know when you wrote the blogs when you first came here. Yeah. Now, I mean, like a morning skate, it's all on phone, including every interview they did. Yeah, I was so resistant. It's so funny that I work at the athletic now because I remember when the strip came up with the blog idea. I was so resistant to it, so resistant to it, and. Um, I, I remember writing my first blog at this pool in Phoenix in January, right nice before the pool. Yeah, I know. And uh, it was my first Russo's Rants blog. And um, and then I'm like, you know what? This is actually going to be kind of useful. You know, getting out stuff that you can't get in the paper could be a little a little more analytical on there, a little more opinionated. And and I sort of embraced it. But who knew? Like years ago, like I think back to the '90s, Bob. You know, you mentioned about calling the SID. When I was in the 90s, if the, if the Panthers played on a five-game road trip, I would, before I'd have to go, I'd have to go on mapquest.com or something, and I'd have to get, you know, sit there and say, all right, airport to the Phoenix Marriott, Phoenix Marriott to the America West Arena, America West Arena back to, to the Marriott, and I'd have to print out just pages and pages and pages of directions. And then if they were on that five-game road trip... I would have to bring the Phoenix Coyotes media guide and the LA Kings media guide and the Anaheim Ducks media guide and the guide the big guide and record book and in a separate bag because there's nowhere online. You know, you didn't go if if I needed to know how b- big and tall Kaprizov was or Spurgeon, there was no Google it real quick. No, it was, I mean, you, you had to go in the media guide. And actually, when when I broke into the business, that that was before they could even print out the directions. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I first broke in at Michigan State, things were done on the on the old uh, I forget what they called, but it was it was like a uh, and a carbon copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had they had a they had a, they had a yep. that's how they ran the between periods. Yeah, stuff. remember I remember going to Office Depot all the time when I was a kid and buying the carbon paper. For the- I remember going into when I went to Michigan State, walking into Jenison Fieldhouse. Mm-hmm. Jenison Fieldhouse was just that; it was a fieldhouse. It was a dirt floor, and the basketball floor went over the dirt. And the one press box was on one side. They had stuff on the other side. They would take the press notes and send them, via, you know, the, the, the first half stats via a little basket. And it traveled by wire across the court up in the air over to the other side. Right. Uh, Bruce Siski. Uh, you know Bruce. Uh, University of Minnesota Duluth uh, broadcaster. Uh, all he does is call national championship games. Um, from one broadcaster to another, can you ask him some tips on memorizing all the different names you run into during a season? Names and numbers. Do you like you get here? You're uh, we're doing this game, this podcast, three four hours before game six here. You, I mean, you obviously this is a different animal because you've now called five of these games. But uh, like, do you do you during a day in a normal game if you're playing if the Wild are playing the Edmonton Oilers? Do you go and tr- how do you memorize names? Well, and numbers? I have it easy now because I've been around so long. Like, right. like, like you obviously know the Wild cold, right? So all you have to do is worry about the visiting team. But like you mentioned, this year we played all the visiting teams eight times, so, so you know that's em. no big deal. But even in the regular season in the NHL, it carries over from year to year. Where I used to have difficulty would be when, when the, the, that one time when they really heavily loaded division play, and you'd have one division which you'd almost never see. Usually, it was like the at the time like the Florida Panthers or the Ottawa Senators. You'd go in, you play them like one time all season long, and you had or, or you hadn't even played them the previous year. Yeah, and you then you had absolutely no idea who. And then to memorize all of those was pretty you know, difficult. You you get it done finally. What I usually do also is that's where you need the pregame skate. Because you do it, and you do it in color. Or you watch the, you watch them, you know, warm up, mm-hmm. and just call the, you know, call in your head who they are, and somehow the numbers, you know, stick. Yeah, you were in hit with the puck the same day David Poyle was, right? That was that it was, was close. T- yeah, it was around the you same. Got time. it a lot worse than I yeah. did. Yeah, did you have it? This you didn't get hit with the puck the day that Pete Weber. No. Okay, that was. 
That was uh, but that one just popped I in my head because I was the only person <laughs> sitting in the lower bowl. There's eighteen thousand seats here. I was the only yeah. one there, and I forget who the goaltender was, but he had, he had a blocker save. It flipped over golf? the net. It flipped over the net, yeah. and it came down and cut me. And, yeah. the, and then I ran. And I, you know, I was bleeding, and I ran into the uh, the room. And Donnie Fuller had me sit down, and the yeah. players were looking at me, and they were they had a pool going as to how many stitches, and Danny Heatley won because he guessed ten. Yeah, curtsy. Um, <laughs> Curtsy, uh, I mean, sorry, Tom Reed. I remember I walk into the arena that day. He goes, well, Curtsy got hit by a puck. And I'm like, and I just, you know, you never believe anything Tom says. And I didn't believe him. He goes, no, seriously. He got hit by a puck. And then I looked down, there's blood. I'm like, oh, my God. That reminds me of, um, we were in Greensboro, North Carolina once. And Paul Oz is shooting pucks at the camera hole in the corner, trying to scare me that he's going to hit me in the chest. And all of a sudden, he flips one through there, and it hits me straight in the sternum, and I go down. I cannot breathe, and I wind up on Stan Wong's trainer table at Greensboro Coliseum when the when the when the Panthers are playing the the Hurricanes. And I uh, Paul Laws comes in after to prof- like profusely apologizing, and Dino Cicerelli looks at me and goes, "That's how bad of a shot you are. You you were trying to miss and put it right through." <laughs> so I had West Walls. I think it was take a shot at me in Tampa. You know, <laughs> and did it go through? No, it, he 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 was just fooling around, flipping it up, figuring that I'd see it, and I wasn't paying attention. And and all, and then then he got the look of horror on his face as, as it hit like a cedar <laughs> cedar two away. Uh, Kyler asks, uh, "We'll get to some more fondness questions. Trust me, uh, Kyler." <laughs> Kyler asks, um, "If you could go back in time and make a different path in life away from radio, what would it have been?" What did you want to be when you were a kid? Did you want to be a broadcaster? Yeah, I wanted to be a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's something I wanted to do, and I went to Michigan State, and and I was in business school, and I was, you know, you're doing okay, but I was my heart really wasn't in it, and I wanted to get into something that I enjoyed, but I had no idea how to even begin to go about it, and then I went over to a television station, talked to a guy there, and, yeah. you know, got set pointed in the right direction I mean, do, do, when there. you think like when you th- put that in perspective that you are you know at uh you know in the in the twilight years regardless if you retire or not of of your career but yet had this incredible life doing what you wanted to do when you were little bob kurtz you gotta you gotta just be like pinch yourself for the career that you did have you do i mean you yeah. do i mean I, I can't say you do it every day but you do you should do it every day but you don't but you know it's funny as it comes to an end whether it's now or later i don't find myself thinking much about here yeah what i find myself thinking about is how it began at michigan state yeah how i walked down to i i we had you know breslin arena is there right now but when i was at michigan state as a worker they were there were quonset huts there where, where breslin arena stands now that's where i began my broadcasting career by walking in there and talking to the sports director and he sent me over to sports information and i didn't even know what sports information was <laughs> So, I mean, I, I, I'm going to do something weird. I'm, it's, it may sound weird, but I'm going to go back to a place called Dagwoods. It's a little bar in Lansing, Michigan. It's about a mile down the street from uh, where Breslin Center is and about a mile and a tenth from where Munn Arena, the, the hockey arena is. And you sort of sit there, have a beer and a hamburger and reminisce about all the people who helped you along the way. Most of whom are, you know, a lot of them are dead now. I mean, these, this is years ago in Michigan State. But I find myself thinking more about the beginning yeah. and the people in the beginning than you do the end because you you see all the people here every day anyway. Yeah. Obviously, you haven't seen a lot of those people in a long, long time. Yeah, I do that a lot. And, I'm you know, I haven't done this job nearly as long as you are. But it's just, I don't know what it is. Maybe just when you get up there in age, you start thinking about a lot of the past. And yeah, I mean, how, how, you, how this thing started. And some yeah. people, you know, gave you a – they might not even realize it, how much they were helping you. Yeah. For them, it was just an Oreo – Go yeah. over here and do this, but the, the somebody other, has to yeah. tell you where to go. And the, that's the thing. It's like the other thing that you realize when you, you've done this John, a job that you love for as long as you are is is that every decision you made along the way got you to this point. You know, mm-hmm. it really is. It's every like, what if I, yeah, person who you, helped. you make one turn the wrong way and your career path yeah, could have gone. One turn a different yeah. way and, yep. it tur- and, it tur- and it turns out Absolutely. No doubt about it. I'm Joe Haggerty, uh, 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 broadcaster and writer up in Boston. Says, I'd love to know his favorite call or memory from his time doing play-by-play for the Red Sox. There's a, there's a number. We, we I had a good time with the Red Sox. One one weird one. The one one comes to mind was uh, one night. Nomar, Nomar Garcia Parra had three home runs and ten runs batted in in the game. That was big. Wow. I also did a Chris Bazio no hitter. Bazio was pitching for Seattle. There must have been three thousand people in the stands in the at the old Kingdom. But one of the weird ones that came to mind. We used to have Jerry Remy and I used to have a ball in spring training, mm-hmm. and 
1995, that's when the players went on strike or were locked out or whatever, and we had a replacement spring training. And the place we worked for, Nesson, did every spring training game on TV. So we went down and we did spring training replacement baseball. And we so the Red Sox replacements are playing the Yankee replacements in Fort Lauderdale. There was a pitch inside and we had a bench-clearing brawl in a replacement game. <laughs> I the used Yankees to get, stormed out of yeah. the... I said, they, like, like Remy would say, even the replacement players for the Red Sox and Yankees don't like each other. Yeah, I used to go to that stadium all the time when I was a kid, uh, when I'd go visit my grandparents. My grandfather was a huge Yankee fan, so we used to used to bring us spring training there and to West Palm Beach Stadium to watch the Expos. And um, I think the Cardinals were up there, too. But uh, th- what a pit that stadium was. Right but next it's, to Lockhart it's, Stadium. It's got to be the greatest assignment, or where it was. I, I I haven't done it in 20 years. It's, it's got to be the greatest assignment in sports. Yeah. You go down there. We did games there. Every game is an afternoon game. Yeah. Players are in a hurry, so the pace of the game is much better than it is during the regular season. You Game starts at one. Game's over by four. You have a whole <laughs> night free. It's like 80 degrees down there. The games don't mean anything, so the right. players, for yeah. the most part, are in a good mood. Everybody's happy. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this, uh, but Dylan Hughes, by the way, he says that when Kurtz hangs it up, it won't be the same. Him and Reed are iconic, and there was something special about his he shoots, he scores line or left to right on your radio dial wish him the best i got a lot of those by the way a ton of those uh from wild fans uh that 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 say it will not be the same when you leave but dylan does ask um and we talked a little bit about it but outside the x what's your best place to call a game whether it's now whether it's baseball um and i mentioned i mean a lot of the old iconic states were all good i mean uniformly they were good but they're they're no longer with us among the new ones i mean like vancouver again vancouver again nassau coliseum that was my favorite you're crammed in but it's very good yeah you are the newest ones that's why we were so we were so pleasantly surprised with with little caesar's arena yeah remember the the seats that they used to have in the press box in nassau coliseum it wasn't like actual seats it was like the type that would it was attached to the bottom of your tabletop so you'd barely made it in especially somebody as big as I was. Um, Glenn asks, uh, in your opinion, what was the best North Star team uh, that was probably better than the teams that even went to the finals and the best North Stars player? They had they had they had they had a nice run. Uh, that the, the, their finals team in 81 was very good. And they followed that with very good teams in uh, 82 and 83. They kept running into Chicago in the opening round of the playoffs. Now, mm-hmm. Chicago wasn't as good then as Chicago became, obviously, when like when the Wild came in. But they were a fighting team. And they always seemed to have the North Star have a North Stars number. But the Wild went all or the North Stars went all the way to the finals in like 1981, yep. roared out of the gate again the following year. They beat the Winnipeg Jets one night 15-2. to two. Yeah, that's how I mean, that's how good they were. Uh, yeah. And then they hit you, you hit Chicago in the playoffs and it was out in the first round and everybody's disappointed. But they, they had some they yeah. had some great teams. Neil Broughton and all those guys. Yeah. You know, Cicerelli. Yeah. Dino still one of my I talked to Dino the other day. Um, I sent a selfie with uh, Louie in Vegas to Dino. Um, you know, it is, it is funny. Like, uh, it's not funny, but I, I the one thing I, I feel like I do lack as a hockey writer in Minnesota is that North Stars historical information in my head. You know, I feel like I know everything that you could happen about. Like, I've caught up on the wild the first four seasons that I didn't cover. Mm-hmm. North Stars are still to me. It was so You're long. Ways before, back. Yeah. And so, I go back, you know, Tom and I go back to the Godfather. Right. John Mariucci. Yep, yep. I mean, when I broke in, when I broke into hockey and when it was a young cub, my first real hockey job, I was doing the games for Michigan State and Amo Bassoni was the coach at Michigan State. You have to be known hockey for a while to know his name. Mm-hmm. And Amo's best friend was John Mariucci, who was around a lot. Herb Brooks coached the Gophers. Uh, Badger Bob Johnson coached Wisconsin. Lefty Smith coached Notre Dame. And they're all living yeah. legends. Yeah, absolutely. And Mari- Mariucci, was, you'd have loved him. He was just a treat. He was the best after-dinner speaker I have ever seen in my life anywhere. <laughs> he'd sit, John would sit back, and he'd have a napkin. And you know, everybody else would do their thing. Somebody would get up and speak, or Russo would get up and speak, or Lou would get up and speak. And then John would just make a little note here, a little note there. And then John would get up at the end. He always went last and just blew them all right out of the water. He was the absolute best I've ever seen. The definition of, uh, of save the best for last. Uh- by the way, if you're not an athletic subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source. You can get in for $3.99 a month. Also, incredible podcasts on this week. Uh, Don Granado, the interim and head coach of the Buffalo Sabres, is Craig Custance and uh, Sean Gentile's guest on the Athletic Hockey Show. And Cam Neely, Seabass from Dumb and Dumber, the president of the Boston Bruins, joins Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBron on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic 
a hockey show on Wednesday. Um, Bob, uh, some more Twitter questions for you. Actually, you know what? Um, you know what? I didn't realize that you actually did a game of color with Doug Risebar once. Yeah. Tell us about it was, that. It was, it, I think it was on the island. I, I think it was on the island. And so where was it, Bob, Tom? Tom Reed. Tom, I, I think that was when Tom was, was, was he was ill for some, for, for some reason. And I, I, I was planning on doing the game alone. And they said, no, no, you know, Doug wants to do it with you. So wow. I go up and I you know, wasn't sure whether Doug was going to be there or not. So Doug's pretty good at this. But then about, you know, about halfway through the first period, Doug is getting ticked off. The team's not playing very well. <laughs> so he says he's going to go downstairs and talk to him. So I figured that's it. He storms up, you know, slams the, you know, out, out he goes, goes down and apparently reams him out. I didn't think I'd ever see him again. But <laughs> second period comes, Doug is back. <laughs> what year would that have been? Uh, it was when Jock was coaching, obviously. Yeah, so it was I before two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I wonder. It was if, it was later too. I mean, it was that, that, so it was uh, so I was the beat. Yeah, you might you may have almost mm-hmm. been there. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, they were getting pretty good by then. Right. I mean, I actually kind of remember that, but I don't remember that I knew that he went down and stormed yeah, into the locker room. I don't think you knew room. they would. He went <laughs> yeah. down. He, I wish I did know that, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I do kind of remember that. Um, I feel like that was when Tom Tom did have those. Uh, remember, there was some he had some issue. Yeah, like, he, and he had he had a he, uh, it was it was a knee problem yes, of some sort. And yes, he, he got an infection. Yes, yep, a hundred percent. Remember he, that he one was really game really in sick. St. Louis where he was like sweating yeah. profusely, and I'm like Tom. You yeah, should the, not be. He's here. got that hockey mentality. Yeah, like know. Tom, you need to go get looked at right yeah. now. This is not good. Like you, he's really. I, mean, I honestly wondered whether he was going to make it or not. Yeah, he, it was scary. It yeah. really was. I think that was around the same time. In fact, that might have been because remember there was some weird trip where the Wild played Islanders St. Louis, and I, I bet you it was that trip that uh, that Doug but did. I the thought game it was a Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. Well, no, that's what I mean. There. I think that. That it was if it was at Nassau Coliseum with Doug, maybe we went to St. Louis after, and that's yeah. why I saw Tom not still not doing well. Um, go for it all, Asha. What was your favorite decade of uh, hockey to cover, and why? I don't know if I could answer that. I mean, it, romantically, you go back in your mind; it was better. I remember when we had the lockout in '95 or whatever it was when I was working at Nesson in Boston, and you always remember. I always remember the original sixes. That's when hockey was hockey, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, Nesson is now showing these old game clips. And they weren't moving as fast on TV as, as I remembered them moving. You know, so, I mean, it's improved, obviously, decade by decade. Right. Um, I mean, Pete, it's, it's not a different game, but, I mean, it's a different game. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, Pete Best asks, um, the sports broadcasting landscape has certainly changed since you started with the boom of social media, instant visual clips and highlights. Do you feel a pressure to feel seen on radio with the nat- saturation of these platforms? Has it made your job easier or harder? I think so, it's made the job easier myself. Mm-hmm. It's, it's as far as it being seen. I don't, at, given my age and the fact that you've been around a while, I don't feel necessarily the pressure to do it. But I would imagine, you know, if you were a younger broadcaster, I mean, you obviously have to get noticed. Yeah. And I mean, if that's the way it's done, and that's what you know, that's what you do. Right. But uh, I mean, if, it's made the job very much easier. Yeah. I mean, like I say, everything is available for you if you want yeah. on the phone. Yeah. Yeah, which brings me to a uh, fallenness question. What's your favorite hashtag and emoji when you lurk on Twitter? <laughs> I, the beer mug. Yeah. Who does he follow closest on Instagram? What's your favorite TikTok dance? Yes. Uh, TikTok, I don't know anything about. I don't have Instagram either. My wife explains it all to me. Um, if the kid sends something on Instagram, I get shown the pictures. Yeah. Um, Jeff Hudson, good question. Besides the obvious pace of play, what are the, some of the biggest differences between doing play-by-play for hockey and baseball? Pace of play would be the biggest one. I mean, you can, you know, hockey will sit there. You'll, you'll, I'll, I'll make a couple of notes, and half the time you don't even need the couple of notes. I mean, right. the game basically plays itself. And speaking of the the Lone Ranger to Uh-oh. my right, the masked man is coming in himself, Uh-oh. Tom Reed. We've had a lot of Tom Reed stories here. Tom, you're what welcome. Rest, to what jo- was the rest of that question? Yeah. Before uh, I was so rudely interrupted. Um. Oh, just uh, what's uh, the difference between baseball and and I mean that would and, be the big thing. You well, got to fill get, a lot of like, air. You get a power pitcher, yeah. for example, like Roger Clemens yeah. was. Uh, he threw a lot of pitches in the first inning. Get all this stuff, and the next thing you know, all your stuff is gone, and you're still on the top of the first. Right. Uh, Benjamin asks, uh, every broadcaster has their signature caller moment. Do you believe in miracles? Stuff like that. As you think back over the year, what do you think was yours? Do you have a signature call or favorite? Yeah, you know, really about I, I did the you know I, I did the little little flip stuff. It, that, most of it just you know just sort of popped out of nowhere, right? Like the left or right across your radio dial, or the the scent of overtime. Mm-hmm. I worked with a guy in uh, in New England, Bob Norton, who was tremendous. Yeah. He used to always get you. He'd get late in a hockey game. It'd be like three three, and he'd go. <laughs> 
oh, yeah. the scent of overtime is in the air. So I pick, yeah, yeah, you just pick things up as you go along. The, the one game that does come to my mind when I think of you is Gabrick's five goal game. I, I thought every one of your goal calls, you, you built the anticipation with each goal call, if you remember. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you don't still get find, too many of those. Yeah. Um, I but mean, that that's was, one of the problems. I mean, with, yeah. you know. Um, you know, the cool thing about being a radio play-by-play guy is that if the team wins the cup, you're doing all four rounds. I can't imagine being a TV play-by-play guy where essentially it's like, all right, thanks for calling all season in one round, but nice well, to Well, Tom you. and I were fortunate. We did the 81 finals. Okay. At, at that time, there was no national TV in the United States. Okay. So, so we did. did we right. went all the way to the finals yeah. and, and, and did the whole thing. Nowadays, of course, they don't do it. Yeah. Uh, Chris Hansen, you, you kind of uh, talked about this, but what made you want to get into broadcasting? It's something I always wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, I grew up. I I listened to Ernie Harwell on Tiger yeah, baseball, course. and it, when and when I was a kid, that was I mean that was the gargantuan sport. Baseball was everything football is now and then some because it was romanticized so much. I mean that was everybody collected baseball cards. Uh, baseball was you know was was the big deal, so you followed that, and then like I said, I followed the you know hockey as well. Uh, Todd Krauss asks, uh, "What did Bob learn from Al Shaver?" Bob calls a game very much in that style. Well, that's, you know, Al was just tremendous. It's a different era. You know, the, the previous question asked some of the changes. Like when Al, in Al's era, they, they stayed right wing, left wing, center, up the ice, back the ice. Right. You know, now, of course, they, they're all yeah. over the place. Yeah. I mean, you look in front Especially of the net. The you look in front of the net and there's Spurgeon. Yeah. You know, yeah. what is he doing there? <laughs> or Dumba. Uh, there was one shift last, uh, last game where Dumba, I think, skated like 500 <laughs> yards on one shift. I was like, eh, dude. It's a chillax right now. It was, uh, that last game was a classic. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's a great question. Natron goes, he called, he called, oh, hey, Kevin. Uh, he called games from, wrong, but it's a Kevin I actually enjoy, not a Falmus, just for everybody listening to know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> a different Kevin. Uh, yeah. Uh, Natron, uh, good question. He called games, he called games for some really garbage Minnesota Twins teams. What's your most memorable moment from that unfortunate time? Well, they weren't all garbage. They had a pretty good, they had a pretty good year. I think it was 80, 80 84, whatever it was. What I remember the most is I, I had a weird thing. A connection between Minnesota and Boston. Like I remember, I called Herbeck's first game. I called Herbeck's last game. Wow! Because he, he retired right after a doubleheader between the the Red Sox mm-hmm. and the and the Twins at the Metrodome, and then the players went on strike. I I remember when 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 Kirby I called Kirby Puckett's first game with the with the Twins mm-hmm. when he came down to Anaheim and got the five base hits. I was there. I was supposed to do I was doing the spring training game, Twins against the Red Sox in Fort Myers when when Kirby woke up with the eye problem but mm-hmm. never played again. Yeah. I called Gary Gaetti's first game for the Twins. I was in the dugout when Gary Gaetti retired as a member of the of, of the Boston Red Sox without actually having played during the regular season. Same thing for Frank Viola and uh, Tom Bernanski came over in a trade from a- from Anaheim. But I, so I did his first his first game as a as a as a Twin, and he he of course eventually played in Boston at the end of his career, right fielder for the Red Sox. Right, right. So, I mean, it was it was funny how how that went. That that was my group. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Don't you think, by the way, Kevin would be a great podcast guest behind you? He'd be absolutely. He would. I would would get Kevin and and Nordy on the same one. But I mean, just imagine like, so Kevin is the uh, wild security guy. Oh, I'm not talking talking about a different Kevin. I just feel like Kevin knows some really cool stuff. Kevin has some off. He has some great stories that would be just awesome for a podcast. Most of the time he's sworn to secrecy. I'm sure Sickman will allow that one. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Let's get to a couple more Kevin Fallon's questions, then we can wrap it up and let you get ready for your, for game six here. Um, <laughs> this is a good question. Kevin asks, uh, what's his uh, favorite part about sitting behind on the charter, uh, Kevin Gorg and Dan Myers? Is it the constant fantasy sports chatter or the fact that neither of them ever stops talking? It could be A or B. <laughs> <laughs> They're two very nice guys. They do like to chat. <laughs> I cannot imagine st- sitting behind them on a plane. Well, we, we they, they, yeah, we've gone downhill because Tom and I used to sit behind <laughs> Spurgeon and Scandella, and I used to always tell Scandella would always put his seat back. And I told him, I said, you know, we're going to get rid of you because if you keep doing that stuff, and sooner or later we got rid of him. <laughs> we never could get rid of Gorg and Myers. Yeah. So. I think this is a shot at me. How much more fun was this team to be around when guys like Tom Jones covered the team? <laughs> so Tom was the first ever Star Tribune hockey writer. For the wild, obviously not the uh, North get, Stars. I, 
I listened to you today. I, th- I think you were on K Fan today. Pro, uh, twice, you, were, yeah. you were saying you were in your 18th year with the Wild. 16th, 16th year. Yeah, with the 26th Wild. year covering wow, I mean, hockey. Time really flies. Yeah, yeah. It's my 16th year. I covered the Panthers for 10. This is my 16th year covering the, oh. the Wild. Not crazy. And you've gone from the from from probably the nicest, warmest weather in the NHL. I know. To, we're not uh, too far from the bottom here. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a big fan of the weather down in South Florida, though. Uh, more fallenness questions. Uh, what's worse, a cold press box or when they turn off the lights? Uh, both. <laughs> there was one. We're, we're laughing. Somebody around the league. This, this is a copycat league, not yeah. only on the ice, but up here in game ops. Some bright bulb turned off the light someplace in New York or wherever, and they discovered they could, they could make the whole arena go dark. So within a week, all 31 arenas in the National Hockey League shut their lights off. We got a habit here of doing it right when they open the game. <laughs> we'll come right out of the open and the lights will go down. <laughs> I'm and I'm trying to find a flashlight so I can see my notes and all the rest of the stuff. And Faldus, of course, gets a giant kick out of it. Uh, does Tom Reed have the dollar curtsy actually spent at the pub frame somewhere? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> um Let's see, ask him his feelings when I use up all his time in intermission. He's unbelievable. <laughs> He's got to do 16 recaps, and then I got to come back, like, at the beginning of a second period, you know, reintroduce ourselves and all of the people that are working on the broadcast, tell them what the score is, figure out that the guy's in the penalty box, and he gives me, like, 12 seconds to do all this. <laughs> Um, here's a good one. Why is Jim Rogers his longtime friend and engineer while Chris Carpenter is barely even mentioned? Well, that's because Jim Rogers is showing up for every game for 20 years. Chris Carpenter works about three games a season. Oh, man. Rogers um, has been with us through thick and thin. Yeah. Chris is Chris is wonderful when he's downstairs. He's just not down there very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would be nice if Faunus would just stay downstairs. That's the problem. Yeah, he's, but he wanders, though. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You can send him down yeah. your way tonight. Um, final couple questions, Bob, in all seriousness. I mean, you've had a, this unreal career. Again, hopefully it's not over yet. But, I mean, we are doing this before game six. I mean, technically the season could end tonight. It, you know, if let's say it is, you know, whenever this wild season ends, doesn't have to be tonight, you know, whether it's next game, next game, next, like, is there like that third period will it be on your mind? Like this could be it. Or, or are you so content that I'll just make this decision when the season is over and not not really get all emotional during that. I won't that get action. all emotional. I'm yeah. just going to wait until, until the season's over. Like I said, about five years ago, I, I actually thought that was the last period. Plus, mm-hmm. a lot of times in hockey, what happens is it, it, it's overtime and it, it ends in a snap, yep. you know. You're not going to just drop some <laughs> F-bomb. Well, well <laughs> no, see no, you, everybody. It's been nice, nice Goodbye, career. Folks. Yeah, bye, folks. <laughs> yeah, thanks for allowing me to uh, call one, two playoff round wins in the last six. No, I'm just kidding. Um, career advice for young broadcasters. I, whenever I have broadcasters on, I had Forslund on last week. You mentioned him. I've had Rimmer, um, of Kenny Albert or whatever. You know, there, a lot of people, when I have broadcasters on my podcast, say they're young, aspiring sports journalists. Every kid that's a sports fan grows up. And if you don't want to play the game, you want to be a play-by-play guy. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a play-by-play guy. And somehow I wound up being a lowly sports writer. Um, what, what You've would done you, yourself right proud. <laughs> what, what would be your, your biggest... Uh, uh, you know, uh, advice well, that you could give to young sp- aspiring journalists. What I do, I used to. I mean, Ernie Harwell was tremendous to me. Mm-hmm. He was he was among the the guys that helped him probably more so than any because he always took time to talk to young sports broadcasters. So I always made a vow to myself if I ever got a job, I would do it, and I and I did it for most of my career. The last couple of years, I've I've, I've begged off only because given my age. And when I broke into the business, I don't think I'm current enough. I think they need advice now from somebody like Anthony LaPanta or or younger who can direct them in this age of social media what they should do. I I don't know that I would be their best source right now. Mm-hmm. But um, but, but usually it's usually it's that boyish enthusiasm that gets you. I mean, you're a kid when you start this thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why you do it. You know, and that's why I say you know I. I is you get near the end, I look back more to the beginning than I do at the end because yeah. that's the that's the age in which you were inspired and you know you were so unsure of yourself you didn't know what to do and people reached out and they helped you and you know and sometimes they didn't even realize they were helping you. Yeah, 
So you want to help them. But I think the best way I could help them is, you know, go talk to somebody who's more wired in with the current way it's done. Yeah. I, sh- I, I shouldn't say this because I don't want to get you in trouble, but you know what? Uh, you know what? One of the things as you were saying about people that helped you, I still remember when I first started covering the wild, how, do you remember how often at the end of each season, I would make sure I'd go out to dinner with you and Tom, because I just, you had a way of always talking about the team. I'm like, that's a good line. That's good. Remember how many t- things you'd say? I'm like, you can't, even see, you can't, can't even see the taillights through the yeah, fog. That one. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, there, there were a lot of like, if I looked at my end of the year, as we call them in the business, postmortems of the wild. We're not that far out of it. We still have games in hand. Yeah. Well, you better you better hurry up. <laughs> that was your that was always your great the, you know, the games in hand thing <laughs> was always one that was was funny with you. But I just re- remember like I'd be sitting with you guys at a restaurant or a bar and we'd be talking about the team and you just the way you said something like that's how I want to write it, you know. And I remember I'd always just write down little mm-hmm. lines, and they'd wind up in the Star Tribune. You could say it, I could. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So again, I don't want to get you in trouble, but a lot of those lines <laughs> that pissed off the organization back in the no, day. No, no, well, well, it wasn't me. <laughs> Although it was the taillights, you can't see the taillights through the fog. Yeah, yeah. They're disappearing. The they're that, disappearing into the, the fog. The other great Bob Kurtz line that I've used a thousand times that I know you didn't make up, but you said it once, and it was just so obvious to me. A leopard doesn't change its spots. I've used that so often, and that you, came and from you. Know who, you know, you know where the, who that's from is John Mariucci. Right. John Mariucci used to say you, they, they, they would you know they would have this troublesome player yeah. that they would acquire from someplace yeah. else. He would come in, he'd play well, and then of course he'd revert to form. Yeah. And Mariucci always used to say, "You can't bring in the leopard and put on the you bring in the leopard. Yeah. You put on the white paint. You, yeah. you you paint him white, but sooner or later." The rain starts, yeah, and the water washes off the white paint, and we have the leopard. Yeah, it's it's. It, I mean, it's a great line to use in sports too, because you just think about it. You could use it about any, but I mean, you know, it's like how often would they be like, we got to get Pierre Marc Bouchard to shoot more. <laughs> Well, a leopard doesn't change its spots. You got to get Matt Zuccarello to shoot more. Well, a leopard doesn't change its. You know, you know, if you get to well, a certain shows point, how, how, you know, right. how hockey or the rest yeah. of the sports they change, but they don't change. I mean, this this saying goes back to John Mariucci, and my guess is it goes back far before John. Yeah, too. absolutely. Well, hey, this was a, a ton of fun. Um, you know, I sure hope this isn't uh, your final game. One because I want the Wild to continue here, <laughs> and so I can keep on working You're and covering hockey. Uh, I'm not paid by game, but it would be nice to, d- to actually cover a little bit of playoff run. Plus, I got a flight back to, oh, you're going Vegas, to Vegas at 1 p.m. tomorrow. You, you, you'd like this to be the best of 15, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Exactly. It, it is funny, though. Uh, I started thinking about packing today. And, I, you know, I called I called the league to find out when the conference when the conference final, when the next round would start. And it's either going to be Sunday or Monday because the, the round two in Denver would be Sunday, Wednesday or, or Monday, Wednesday because they can't play Tuesday. But all of a sudden, it like dawns on me today, like I'm packing. I'm not packing for two days if I go to Vegas. I'm packing for like a week because well, I have to go right with, to Denver. Would that be fun? Yeah, I know. Exactly. So um, maybe you can come on that trip, Bob. Don't you think? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe I could. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Bob, this was a lot of fun. Um, you know, you've always been so great to me. And, um, you know, I, I, I know that Wild fans and North Star fans but are, have been just so thrilled to be able to hear you for a long, long time. Hopefully, it'll continue for longer. But, you know, if it's not, I mean, you know, what a career you've had. Wild fans are the beneficiary of that, being able to hear you for the last 20 years, Bob. Uh, they haven't I mean, heard me out of town call. yet. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, that's why. They did once, and then they went to Boston and came back. So. <laughs> exactly. Well, that is. Uh, Bob Kurtz. Uh, thanks as always for uh, for tuning in to Straight from the Source and check out our comments section for each podcast episode of the Athletic app and rate and subscribe to Straight from the Source on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Mike. 